Mark 10, 32 through 45 is what we're looking at this morning. We're, we've sort of been walking through Mark, um, and uh, yeah, so Mark 10, 32 through 45, you'll find those words on the screen, uh, or you can just listen. Uh, before we read them, let's pray together. God, thank you uh, once again for, for gathering us together in this space. Uh, here in this building, in this space online, we are just grateful uh, that, that you've called us together like this. And right now, we, we come to you humbly and, and, and ask that you would speak to us. Speak to us through your word, by the power and presence of your spirit. We ask that you'd open our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mark 10, starting at verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. We know what happens in Jerusalem, right? The disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, which they sound like Marvel characters, like Thor Jr., Junior Thors or something. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. (laughs) You do not know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left? Not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together again and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We will go that far. Does any of that sound familiar? Like repetition, repetition, right? Like this is week three in a row that we've done this, 
right? Each week we sort of get a, a new angle on some of the same words, some of the same themes that sort of fills it out and makes it bigger and deeper and hopefully knocks it into our skulls or, or like we actually get it. So here's what I want to do. I want to begin by, uh, by sort of locating where we are in uh, Mark's telling of the Jesus story so that we can sort of, again, get a feel for it. Uh, so the time, it's just a, a, a little less than a week before Jesus would be betrayed and arrested, right? And it's about a, a week before he would finally be found guilty uh, for who knows what, really, and hung on a cross to die the death of a, a criminal. Like, we know that's where we're going uh, because we know the rest of the story. We're sitting on the other side of this thing, right? So we know that's where we're headed. Now, at this point, the disciples, the learners, Jesus is sort of inner circle of leaders had been following Jesus really closely now uh, for the better part of three years. So they're like family. They know him well. He knows them well. They'd seen him do some really amazing things through the first nine, ten chapters of Mark's telling of the Jesus story. All kinds of amazing things had happened. They had heard him teach and embody this reality he called the kingdom of God like, like they had never imagined or seen before. Right? He loved, he healed, he encouraged, he rebuked, he taught them how to pray, he broke down all sorts of social barriers, all of them really, by associating people that every, with people that everyone else avoided, and a whole bunch of other things that I don't have time to list right now. You can go back and read the first 10 chapters of Mark. Right? So let me put this as simply as I can, and this is embarrassingly simple. This is really reductionist, but it's actually, I think it's on point. I think it's, it's true. So let me summarize it like this. Jesus gave himself away to the people around him every single day of his life. It was like the pattern he showed us. He gave himself away constantly to the people around him. And now he and his disciples are making their way toward Jerusalem, he tells them for the third time, the third time that he's going to be arrested, he's going to be murdered, and three days later, he will rise again. Let's listen to his words. Verse 33, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. That's pretty simple and straightforward, right? This is the third time he's been this simple and straightforward with them. He's speaking plainly with them. But somewhere between we're going up to Jerusalem and three days later he will rise, it seems to me that the brains of James and John seem to get a little foggy. Like, it's almost like they miss what's in between. Right? Or maybe their minds had wandered off to some other place. We're not sure. But what we do know is that it seems to me that these guys completely miss what Jesus was trying to say again and again and again. Not once, not twice, but three times. It seems to me that Jesus followers who have been following Jesus really closely for a really long time can sometimes 
completely miss what Jesus is trying to say and the implications that it has on their lives. In case you didn't catch that, let me say it again. It seems that Jesus people who have been following Jesus closely for a really long time can completely miss what Jesus is trying to say along with the implications that it has on their lives. I find that interesting. Do you find that interesting? Because I've been following Jesus for a long time. I'd like to think closely, and I'm wondering to myself, what am I missing? What am I just not getting? They completely miss it. It's almost like they didn't even hear Jesus say, I'm going to give of myself as fully and completely as anybody can give of themselves. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to die. And since they missed that part of it, they come up to Jesus, and the first thing out of their mouths is this, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And with the patience that rivals the patience of any parent with a three-year-old, Jesus says to them, what do you want me to do for you? And then they ask Jesus if one can sit on his right and the other can sit on his left when he comes into his glory. See, they're not getting it. They're not understanding what Jesus is saying. They still think he's going to assume the throne in Israel. That's what they want. He's going to be king. And as king, he's going to be king like all the other kings have ever been. Right? They think he's going to somehow, someway, Jesus, who they've been walking with for three years, they think he's going to somehow overthrow the Roman Empire, who've been occupying their land for as long as they can remember and oppressing their people for as long as they can remember. Right? And when Jesus becomes king, they want positions of power within the kingdom. They want a peace of the power pie, right? Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Pretty self-centered and self-absorbed, would you not agree? They want what they want from Jesus because they think somehow, some way, it will enhance their lives, make it better. James and John, they've been following Jesus for a really long time now, which means they're kind of like church people today, All of us, we've been following Jesus for a really long time, and James and John just miss it. Remember, Mark is writing to real followers of Jesus in first century, in real churches, and it's almost as if he's putting this story in there as a warning. Don't let this kind of attitude infect your lives. Don't let this kind of attitude infect your community. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. If that's what your relationship, what our relationship with God is all about, if that's what our relationship with the church is all about, we want you to do for us whatever we ask, then it's a great big adventure and missing the whole point. Now, at this point in the story, it's really easy for us to just want to dismiss the disciples. We think to ourselves, what? How did they miss that? They're just dumb. Clearly, they're, they're being dumb. And the disciples are often portrayed by people as just being dumb, hard-headed and dumb. 
I don't think we can do that. I don't think we can dismiss them as being dumb because I don't think they were dumb. I don't think they were being dumb. I think they were just being human. You think about it. They were just looking around at the world and they were noticing something. They were noticing that if you want something, you go and get it. You get the power to get it, then you use that power to get it. Even if it means you have to do it through force or through violence or through coercion, you just go and take what you want. That's the way the world works. That's how it happens. So they're looking at the Jesus movement in some way or another just like that because that's how the world works. That's how it goes. So of course they were thinking these things. Of course they understood it that way. So I don't think we can dismiss them as dumb. Nope. Because sometimes in reality, if we're being, if we're being honest about it, this happens to us. It does. We look around at the world and we see it even at the highest levels of leadership, right? In all sorts of organizations, if you have power, if you have that position and authority, you use it to get what you want, even if that means you do it by force because you got the power. I mean, think about it. That's what January 6th was all about. That's what the insurrection at the Capitol was all about. It was a grasping for power. You literally had people with Jesus signs violently overtaking the Capitol. And then, maybe you've seen the videos, they made their way to the Senate floor and prayed, asking God to baptize what they were doing. And maybe you've seen those videos. Sometimes it can infect Jesus people who've been following Jesus for a really long time. We have to own that. We have to be aware of that. We have to see that for what it is, is having nothing to do with Jesus. That's for sure. Right? So sometimes it happens in big, dangerous ways like that, on a big scale. And sometimes it happens in smaller and unhealthy ways for local churches. Look, I've been doing this for 17 years and I've seen people argue about the silliest things, get upset about the dumbest thing. And it tears the fabric of the community apart. Like people will argue about what kind of music we're supposed to be singing in church. People will argue about what you're supposed to wear, what's appropriate. People will argue about what kind of instruments, how do you set up the chairs. People will argue about how, drum, how the drums are too loud, not too loud, or People argue about the silliest kinds of things, right? And this kind of attitude, so this kind of attitude makes its way into us. And all of those things are just symptoms of the attitude of James and John. We want you to do for us whatever we ask, right? And they're a great big adventure in missing the whole point. This is sobering stuff, y'all. And this is one of the things that we get when we live in a culture of consumerism and power. Like, personal enrichment and personal fulfillment of our own desires is held up before us as like the highest good, the things after which we strive so diligently, right? 
And so we choose a church that best fits our needs, our personal and family preferences. Church becomes something that we consume, right? It becomes sort of a label like Gap or, or Starbucks or Abercrombie and Finch or whatever. Church becomes something we consume for our own needs. Sounds like James and John. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And the thing they thought Jesus could give them that would enhance their lives and make their lives better, the thing they wanted to consume was power. Right? They wanted to sit next to the king on his throne because if you're sitting next to the king on his throne, ooh, all your needs are met beyond measure. So we could substitute church in that. Hey, church, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Like, we want really good music that's totally awesome. We want a preacher that's at least tolerable. We want programs that meet the needs of us and our family. We want what we want because it will enhance our lives, right? That's not the kind of culture that we're trying to create here at Renew. No, we're trying to do something different here. We don't want... We don't want church to just become something that we consume, like another thing. We want to be different. How do we want to be different? Well, let's look at how Jesus responds to James and John. That's probably a good place to start. Jesus. At verse 38, he says, you don't know what you're asking. Let me phrase it another way. James and John... You're asking for the wrong thing. You're asking the wrong question. First of all, this power you're asking isn't for me to give to you. And even if you had it, you wouldn't want it because you know what you'd end up doing? You'd end up using that power just like the people who are oppressing you are using that power. He says in verse 42, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. You're asking for the wrong thing. Instead of asking for something that will enhance your life, ask where you can serve and enhance the lives of others. 43, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Friends, this story is calling us to exchange our worldview of consumerism. What can this do for me? What can I get out of this? This story is asking us to exchange our worldview of consumerism and grasping after power for a worldview of service. What can I do to enhance the lives of others? It's said that Albert Einstein removed two portraits of famous scientists, Newton and Maxwell, from his wall. He replaced them with portraits of Gandhi and Schweitzer. And he explained that it was time for him to exchange images of success with images of service. So this past week, the Ames boys basketball team made it to state, which I think is really cool. I think it's awesome. So it's been bringing back memories for me 
when I was in high school, my high school team went to, went to state. Oh, and it was so much fun. And as I was thinking about that this week and thinking about this this week, I remembered, I remembered one of the things that made that team for us so great and really what makes all teams so great wasn't the seven or eight guys who saw the floor for almost the whole entire game. You know what made that team great for us? We had six or seven guys who hardly ever saw the floor. So when we got into practice, that was their time to play, and they played. They worked so hard, pushing the rest of us who got to play in the games. And without those guys working so hard, we wouldn't have been what we, are, what we were. And I guarantee you, the Ames basketball team has those same guys who push the other ones. They just, mm. it's, like, it's like on any team. Think about football for a minute. Like the guys who get all the glory are the quarterback, the receivers, sometimes the running back, less so, used to be more. But who makes the team go? It's the offensive line and the defensive line. Those guys down in the trenches giving, risking their bodies so that the other guys can get all the glory. Right? Those guys are the guys that make it go. Friends, this thing called following Jesus, it isn't for us. And the sooner we get that through our heads, the better. Right? Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Like, I don't think God needs that from us. I think God needs more, more offensive linemen working in the trenches, gutting it out, risking their lives for the sake of the kingdom. Whoever wants to be first must be last, slave of all. Sometimes, not recently, sometimes, over the course of my 17 years of doing this as a pastor, I've had people come to me and say, I'm just not growing spiritually. Like, not all of my needs are being met. I think it's time for me to find another church, Right? That doesn't always happen. You know, normally people just leave and it's like, where did they go? So I appreciate it when people do. But normally when, I, when that happens, I ask a question. It's like, well, where are you serving? Where are you giving of yourself? What are you doing to help enhance the lives of others within the community of faith here? And nine times out of 10, that stuff just isn't happening. There's no investment in the lives of others. There's no sense of service. There's no enhancing the lives of other people. So, of course, there's no spiritual growth happening. Because this spiritual growth thing, this relationship with the divine thing, like it isn't something we can consume. We're called to be active participants in it. Jesus didn't come and say, hey, sit back, relax, I'm going to fulfill your every need. What did he say? He said, come, follow me. To follow is to actively participate, right? Jesus isn't on some heavenly throne somewhere just chilling. 
Now, we believe that Jesus is alive and active in this world, healing, reconciling, forgiving, putting things back together again, making things whole again, renewing all things, the Bible says. And he's inviting us to follow him to actively participate in those things. So here's our hope for this community, right? Our hope is that it's really hard right now because we can't do all the things that we want to do. But this is the kind of culture we want to have in this place. You'll commit yourself to your relationship with God and to renew community, building strong relationships, serving with what you have, participating in our mission. We hope that you'll fully commit yourself because I believe that God grows us most and God grows us deeply when we're giving of ourselves, when we're actively serving, when we're committed to enhancing the lives of others. It's not, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. No, no, it's teacher. Jesus, what can we do to serve? What can we do to to serve you within the local body? And what can we do as a local body to, to serve and enhance the life of the community in which we've been planted? That's the stuff right there. Let's pray.